This is the Pack Brothers Podcast. Here are your hosts, David and Michael. Greetings, salutations, and all that jazz. From sunny Orlando, Florida, the city beautiful, this is the Pack Brothers Podcast. I'm your host, David. With me, as always, is my twin brother, Michael. Hey, everybody out there in podcast land, thanks so much for listening. We've got another important topic today. Saturday morning cartoons. <laughs> that sounds very similar to what we talked about last time. Yeah, I'm a little bit of a cartoon kick, but that's okay. This is important stuff. Was there a better feeling when waking up when it was still dark on Saturday morning, making your way to the television, maybe with your favorite stuffed animal or blanket, switching on the television and catching the Star Spangled Banner playing, the, signaling the start of the broadcast day, and the moment you waited for all week? So which channel do I start on? Are there any new cartoons I want to check out this year? Do I stick with my old reliable favorites? These were important decisions. Absolutely. And sometimes, you know, if you think about the way that cartoons are today, they were very different when we were growing up as far as when they came on and the technology that made it available did not necessarily make it easy to go back and catch up on those cartoons that you missed. That's right. It was appointment television, and if you missed an episode, that might be it. You were done. Right. There was the doldrums in the summer where you would catch reruns, but you didn't always have control of your schedule. You might be on vacation, or you might have other activities to do during the school year. That's mainly when you had that, obviously, school going on, so you had that reliability in your schedule. And Saturday morning was just a break ready to relax after a hard week of kindergarten or whatever and then watch cartoons. Yeah, and I think everyone has their favorite cartoons from that time or ones they fondly remember. I always watched a lot of the Smurfs. Uh, I watched a lot of Super Friends. Uh, that was one of my favorites. Or um, even like the Supercade arcade cartoons. I really don't know how well some of those hold up, but those were some of my favorites. I know I'm forgetting some. Yeah, I think that... Even when they would show Looney Tunes on Saturday morning, it seemed like that was one that you could more easily catch in syndication throughout the week, it and Popeye and some of these other ones. But when they showed up on Sunday, Saturday morning, I should say, it was kind of a different feel. It hit mm-hmm. different, as, as, the, as the kids say. But, but there are even the stranger ones like Rubik's uh, and the Magic Cube and uh, some of these more geared toward television or movies and things like that. Real Ghostbusters and uh, some of the later ones when we were older that were out uh, that were, were classics, Garfield or uh, part of the you know kidification, like the Muppet Babies and things like that. That's right. And I think everyone believes that their cartoons were the best when they grew up, when they were growing up. So, I mean, I can't argue with that. I'll never convince you that the Smurfs or Garfield and Friends were better than Rugrats or better than Kim Possible or Adventure Time or whatever the latest cartoon is. But those last few I mentioned, were they really Saturday morning cartoons? Well, you know, that's a good point. I don't know that they had the same schedule pressure that we had as far as, I remember when Disney Afternoon kicked off, and it was in, I think we were in high school by then, when you had some cartoons that were available in uh, the afternoon when you were home from school. To a certain extent, I think we had that as well with, he-Man and the Masters Universe, but uh, not in Mr. Cartoon, as uh, we've mentioned on another episode. But yeah, th- those aren't really necessarily Saturday morning cartoons. Yeah, exactly. They aren't. Um, and there's a reason. There's a reason that I can at least objectively argue that Saturday morning cartoons were better when I was a kid in the 80s. 
Okay. That it wasn't an accident. There were actual reasons why I think at least there was so much more magical for kids and why they aren't now. Okay, well, so good. we're going to dig into that. So first, let's wind back the clock to the 1960s. Before we were even born, this is where the Saturday morning cartoons first started. That's not when cartoons first started on TV. They were there since the early 50s. But the idea of commissioning new animated series for broadcast on Saturday mornings caught on in the mid-60s. The networks realized that they could concentrate kids' viewing on that one morning and it would appeal to advertisers, notably toy makers and cereal makers. That makes sense because when you hear about the classic commercials, so many of them are either toy commercials or cereal commercials. And it could be that those were the... uh, the weak points, I guess, if you're talking about bugging your parent to get you something, they'll spend the money to get you a box of cereal or a toy. That's exactly right. There was a thing called pester power that, <laughs> that uh, advertisers try to take advantage of. And you are right. Cereals, toys, things like that. Impulse buys. Kids will recognize when they see them from the commercial and then see them outside. They will say, hey, I remember that. I want to try that. That looks good. I want to help Lucky or the rabbit or whatever. You're right. So, yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. It's something about money uh, that, uh, you know, the advertisers aren't dumb. They know how to, to get into the kids' minds and uh, to parents' minds as well. Yep. Also, there was a lot of limited animation companies. Uh, this Filmation, DePetty, Freeling Enterprises, Total Television, J. Ward Productions, Hanna-Barbera. We mentioned a lot last time on our previous episode. They were economical enough to produce insufficient quantity to fill that five-hour block of time, typically 7 a.m. to noon on Saturday mornings. Yeah, I remember at noon, things wrapping up. I think that's either when Weekend Special started or, or when it ended. I can't remember exactly the details of the schedule on that. Yeah, but it was cheaper than compared to live-action shows, so voila. The Saturday morning cartoons were born then. Now, production costs weren't, you know, not insignificant. They were pretty high, but... The cost of the talent was far less. You didn't have to pay actors. Voice actors became known for their ability to perform several characters at once, sometimes even on the same show. Right, yeah, I can think of examples where that was true. And uh, some of them you can think of by name. Some of them you can't. You have to do some research to figure out, oh, that was the voice of Bullwinkle or of Garfield or, or something like that. If you know, you, you know, but otherwise it's not necessarily... As a kid, I didn't care. Yeah, a lot of famous, like Chuck Jones, Lorenzo, music. Um, oh, who did Chuck Jones do a voice of? Oh, I mean, I'm thinking of, like, some of the... Oh, oh the, or his art. Yes. Okay, I got you now. No, the, for the voices, like, uh, Lorenzo, music did a lot of voices. Yeah, Frank Welker uh, and... Yeah, Alan Oppenheimer did a, a lot of voices. But uh, anyway, there was a lot of reruns, too, because the idea was, or the thought was, children would not remember the original airings sufficiently <laughs> enough to lose interest that they would watch it again. So they helped to uh, fill out some of their time slots as well. Well, I think that makes sense because I know even as a kid, and I've seen it in younger kids, my nephew, uh, other friends with their younger children, they are content to watch something over and over again. And that was the same with me as well. Yep, that, that was the thought about it. And until the late 60s, a lot of Saturday morning cartoons were just reruns of animated shows that were in the primetime because there was a little run in the 60s where you had a lot of primetime cartoons. So it took things like the Flintstones, Top Cat, the Jetsons, Johnny Quest, 
and they just put those on Saturday morning, and that was their Saturday morning time slot. And, of course, there was also Bugs Bunny and Merry Melodies were put on there, and even, like, reruns of The Lone Ranger, other classic shows were also part of it. Okay, yeah, I think The Lone Ranger, that might have skipped us. That might have been in, the like you said, the 60s. That was before our time. Yep, exactly, but now not everyone was happy with Saturday morning cartoons. In 1968, a new player entered the field, a new group known as the Action for Children's Television, or ACT. Okay. If I had a boo sound effect, I would play the boo (laughs) sound effect right now. Oh, no. These are the villains of the piece? Yeah, they were founded as a grassroots nonprofit children's advocacy group dedicated to improving the quality of television programming offered to children. Doesn't that sound terrible? (laughs) I think it sounds noble, but I wonder what if success they had well their main goals were to encourage diversification in children's television offerings they wanted to discourage over commercialization of programming and they wanted to eliminate what they saw as deceptive advertising aimed at young viewers oh well i can see the 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 nobility of that uh goal but i don't know i wonder what results it had well we'll go into that a little bit well the initial focus actually wasn't even a cartoon it was the boston edition of romper room Really? Yeah, Romper Room was a syndicated show at the time. Different states or, you know, cities had their own version of it. But oh, I, know, I didn't know that. During the show, they promoted toys that tied into or branded with the program to the viewers. Oh. So they had those little, you know, romper stompers or whatever, things you put on your feet and walked on. Yeah. They would use them on the show, and then they would advertise them as well. And so they thought that was deceptively aimed at young viewers. Oh, so it was like an infomercial almost for those romper stompers. Right. In the late 60s, they also targeted some Saturday morning cartoons that featured superheroes and violence. They went after the Herculoids, Space Ghost, uh, Birdman, the Galaxy Trio, Fantastic Four. And they influenced them through pressure through like the FTC and Congress for the network to remove those shows. They were replaced with things like Scooby-Doo, H.R. Puffin stuff, other light comedy fantasy type programs with less violence. Oh, okay. So this, <laughs> I know in a previous episode we talked about Tom and Jerry. This was probably what led to Tom and Jerry being declawed, as it were. <laughs> That's right. Uh, that is definitely part of it. So do you think they were done? I Usually that's not the case. No. In 1970, they petitioned the FCC to ban advertising from children's programming. Oh, so none of none at all? None at all. No <sighs> advertising. So how are they going to pay for the programming? <laughs> well, as you can imagine, that failed. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking so. you got to have commercials on television unless it's public broadcasting. Yeah, so they decided, well, you know what? Maybe that did go too far. So we'll do, we're wanting a more limited prohibition. How about this? Try to eliminate commercials for specific categories of products. The well, first one they went after were vitamins. Oh, okay, like Flintstones yeah, vitamins? exactly. Vitamins like that because they said a third of the commercials at that time were about those vitamin pills, even though the bottle said keep out of reach of children and that an overdose could put them in a coma. Now, there's not a lot of evidence that <laughs> kids were getting in comas. Though there was a lot of evidence for <clears throat> a... Um, Overdose of iron, because sometimes they were high in iron, and if you eat like a whole bottle, you could have some bad stuff. Oh, okay. I, I didn't think about that, but that makes sense. I, I had no idea that vitamins were such a big uh, part of the advertising, but maybe they just had a good profit margin or something. And I think they were sort of rolling out at that time, and they were really popular. It was probably part of it, too. 
<clears throat> and one of the things that their research showed, now I don't know if it's true or not, but ACT research showed that children, especially younger ones, cannot differentiate between a cartoon and a commercial. Huh. And that advertisers, toy manufacturers, junk food manufacturers, cereal people knew this, that children have very little understanding of how those commercials are and how persuasive they are and how they buy into that messaging sent by the advertiser. They're trying to, like I said, work on that pester power. I guess, but I mean, I really wonder how much effect that's going to have. How much power does a four-year-old really have, even to pester their parent to spending in a way that's, you know, going to be economically damaging to them, even if it's just vitamins and toy guns or whatever? Yeah, I I really don't see that either, but that's what the ACT group wanted. Mm -hmm. And they wanted more. 1973, the National Association of Broadcasting, because of concerns raised by the ACT, adopted a revised code limiting commercial time in children's programming to 12 minutes per hour. And additionally, the hosts of the children's programming were prohibited from appearing in commercials aimed at children. Oh, wow. So Tom and Jerry won't be in commercials. Bugs Bunny won't be in a commercial. And the live-action hosts won't be in commercials. Oh, okay, okay. I see what you're saying Which led to the near disappearance of locally produced children's shows. Oh, okay. Because they thought, what's the point? Right. I remember, I guess that must not have hurt Mr. Cartoon. I don't remember him being in a commercial. Yeah, exactly. He was just sort of the master of ceremonies showing the cartoons, and they weren't selling anything, so they didn't mind that. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying now. But I could see how that would be frustrating and limiting for those who were using their host to uh, pitch a product for, for for the kids to be interested in. And another guideline they insisted on was... And different networks took different texts on how to implement this, was that they insisted that shows had to mandate and they had to disclose when the program was pausing and the commercial was beginning. Oh, wow. There had to be a clear indication of that happening, which led to things such as this. This, um, sometimes there would be bumpers... Oh, so that's why they had those bumpers because they had they were forced by law to do that. And even things like something as simple as Ninja Turtles, like Teenage Ninja Turtles, way back after these messages, we now return to Teenage Ninja Turtles. So that's why they had to do that. They was, were mandated to do that. Oh my goodness. Well, I mean, okay, limiting it to twelve minutes of commercials as a kid, good because I don't <laughs> want the commercials to to get in the way of the show. But now, as an adult who likes to watch those old commercials, I think, oh, no. You know, that, that, now I want to see more of the commercials uh, than I did when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, it's funny what our priorities are as, as we get older. Just nostalgia, I think, it just kicks in. Right, right. Now, there weren't all negative from these things uh, that ACT was pushing. The networks were also encouraged to create educational spots that used animation and live action for having enriching content. This led to things like Schoolhouse Rock on ABC, the Time for Timer, the Bod Squad, uh, One to Grow On, The More You Know, all these different uh, things that the networks have put out. So a lot of those PSAs we talked about at length on other episodes of the of the podcast. So that's, I guess, something that maybe was a good thing, as you said, that came out of this that you know we've enjoyed from a nostalgia standpoint even today. But everything changed for the better in 19. 19- 
81 slash 82. Oh, so that's like right in our prime time mm-hmm. as kids. Then President Ronald Reagan appointed Mark Fowler, a conservative Republican, as chairman of the FCC. And he was a proponent of deregulation, along with his other colleagues on the commission, determined that children's television should be dictated by the marketplace considerations without regard to any effect of children's health or welfare, <laughs> which doesn't sound good, but it was good for us. When that happened... <laughs> Everybody's happy about that. That's right. Applause. At least applause in, in as far as I'm concerned, because then we saw all kinds of doors being opened up. We saw the debut of toy-inspired programs, which act contended were nothing more than program-length commercials, things like G.I. Joe, My Little Pony, The Transformers, Mask, He-Man and the Mask of the Universe, just to name a very few. Oh, wow. So that made a big difference. I could think of many, countless examples. And to me, I didn't... Okay, I can look back now and see how some of them were just... There were, there were portions of the episode where, like, for example, He-Man would introduce a new character or a new vehicle, and then you'd see it in the store and you would want that. Yeah, always refer to it by its name. As, let's go ride this. It's let's go ride the Road Ripper or the Attack Track. I always have to give it, you know, the full, like, almost in bold name. Right, yes. Come here, Moss Man. Let's go get Stridor, and let's go attack Skeletor at Snake Mountain. <laughs> exactly. And, yes... They were pandering to us. Yes, they were selling to us. But that's, in my opinion, what made the cartoons so great. They were being made entirely for us without any intervention. I was being sold to. I didn't care. I just wanted cool cartoons and toys that made sense with the cartoon to play with them, to have stories to tell with them. Yeah, that made, I remember that being inspiring when you wanted to take your action figures or toys and and play with them and to develop stories. It gave you a starting point. I know that uh, that's not always the case, um, you know, with, with different toys, but with, certainly with action figures, I think it's probably led to better intellectual property, you know, because there was a market driver behind that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, uh, you know, of course, as you can imagine, the ACT was not happy about this at all. Very critical of it. Said that the program just blurred the distinction between program content and commercials. Um, but you know what? It probably did. Some of them were probably long commercials for the toys, but I didn't mind. That's kind of what I wanted. I wanted my toys to make sense with the cartoons. Yeah, yeah, I don't see. I mean, of course, I'm sure that I'm biased uh, in this because those are the types of cartoons that I enjoyed the most. Being a fan of cartoons and of toys and action figures, it just was uh, a match made in heaven for me. Um, But during this time, the ACT was largely unsuccessful in stopping new shows from coming on that they didn't like, except for one instance they did stop the cartoon from coming out. Okay, what was that? That was Garbage Pail Kids. Oh, there was going to be a Garbage Pail Kids cartoon? There was going to be a Garbage Not only was there going to be, there is a Garbage Pail Kids cartoon. It just didn't air in America. Oh, I had no idea. It was created in 1987. It did appear in Europe and in the Caribbean, among some other places. Just a little bit quick aside about that cartoon. It starred uh, the following characters, Split Kit, Elliot Mess, Terry Cloth, Patty Putty, and Clog Duane. <laughs> okay. They're gross-looking kids uh, with abilities to help others. So, hey, it's not all bad. 
Now, in the first two episodes, they have normal alter egos, which they transform into their garbage pail identities. Also, they were like superheroes that could turn into these <laughs> freaks or monsters or whatever. Right. Now, later episodes, they are exclusively in the garbage pail look. So it never explained why their persona became permanent. Oh, that's weird. So it's like Clark Kent being stuck as Superman forever. Right. And it almost followed sort of a Muppet Babies vibe in some of the cartoons because they, they featured parodies of popular movies of the era like Indiana Jones, Superman, Conan and the Barbarian, King Kong, and The Fly. Oh, wow. I was... <laughs> So I've got to look on YouTube now once this episode's over with. I've got to see some of these. It also has segments like uh, Garbage Pail Groaners, which were jokes, and Would We Lie to You, which were different facts, sometimes gross facts. Oh, okay. Now, so like some of those, like the backs of the Garbage Pail Kids cards might have some information like that on them. I can't remember. Yeah, and CBS, they were all gung-ho for this series. They directly produced it. They ordered the entire season. They heavily promoted it, and they run up to their 87, 88 season. But it was abruptly pulled a few days before its debut. I don't remember the commercials for this, so this is why it's coming as such a surprise to me when I'm hearing about this. And it was replaced. You might have wondered, why was this so long? This is why. It was replaced with an extra half hour of Muppet Babies, which expanded to 90 minutes in order to fill that time slot. (laughs) Yeah, I do remember that. This was getting a little bit long in the tooth for me, uh, watching cartoons at this age, but I do remember thinking, good night. Are Muppet Babies that popular? We need 90 full minutes? I think, you know, Smurfs ran for a long time, too, at one point. it did. There was another show around that time uh, called Little Muppet Monsters that was going to be replaced too, but it then never got made either. I don't remember that one. Me either. But in 1990, by the way, just coincidentally, the end of the 80s, it was the beginning of the end. Oh, dear. Yeah. In October of 1990, President George H.W. Bush signed the Children's Television Act. Okay. An act of Congress ordering the FCC to implement regulations surrounding programming that serves the, and you might be, you might be familiar with these, uh, this acronym, has to serve the educational and informational needs of children. Okay. Also known as E slash I. As well as the amount of advertising broadcast during television aimed at children. They had to air programming that were educational. It had to be educational because it was a factor in their license renewals. Oh, wow. So that's how they, they put some teeth into it. And this came into effect in October of 91. They had to maintain and publish a summary, each station, of the educational programming that they broadcast. And the educational program had to be programming that furthered the positive development of children 16 years of age and under in any respect, including the child's intellectual, cognitive, or social emotional needs. Good grief. That is a lot of overhead. This is my problem with a lot of regulation. It's just it creates so much extra work, and people are going to cut to as easy as possible a solution to avoid doing the work. That's human nature. And yeah, I wonder what they're going to do. We're going to find out. <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, they also outlawed the advertising of premium rate telephone numbers. Of what? Premium rate telephone numbers, 900 numbers. Oh, so like this call, you know, Nintendo, call Santa, call these. Oh, so that, that got rid of them. Yeah. I remember like you, when you would call on the X-Men trading cards and you could play a trivia game or something. Right, yeah. We could do a whole episode on the 900 numbers that were targeted to kids. And maybe we will. If you want to hear that, let us know. Uh, but anyway, um, they also cut in. They 
banned uh, advertising of tie-in merchandise during children's television. Shows. Oh, d- dear. So, so that sounds like everything we liked. Yeah. If you have a He-Man and it can't have a He-Man cartoon or a He-Man commercial during He-Man, for example. So as you can imagine, this cut off large revenue sources for children's programs on network television. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking that's true. And as you uh, noted, the regulations were ineffective because more than 25% of stations failed to record the time, date, length of the programming being offered in educational content. And due to the weak definition used in that regulation, how it has to further their positive development, social and emotional needs, a lot of stations ran things like the Flintstones, hard copy, <laughs> leave it to Beaver, and called it emotion, educational programming based on its discussions of social and moral issues. Oh, my goodness. So the, it just because they left it so vague, they filled it however they wanted to easily and cheaply. Yes, and the Clinton administration came in in 96, and they tightened the noose even tighter. It said that you had to have core educational programming, regularly scheduled program, at least 30 minutes in length, specifically designed to meet the educational and informative needs of children 16 years old and younger. All commercial television stations must broadcast at least three educational hours per week, regularly scheduled between the hours of 7 a.m. and 10 p.m. Required to... 10 p.m.? Yeah, 10 p.m. 10 p.m. Okay. Yeah, I was surprised too. I thought it would be 10 a.m., but it was 10 p.m. And that they were required to use that EI label to promote the program on air and in things like TV Guide. Also, this EI logo had to be displayed on screen Throughout the entire program. Okay, I know what you're talking about now. Cause, <laughs> and really, uh, this was past my demographic by this point by far. But I remember flipping through the channels. And if it was an EI show, I just knew that was shorthand for this is terrible and boring. <laughs> yep. Exactly right. Because the content became almost unwatchable. So how do you think a lot of the networks handled these new requirements? I think they probably did the bare minimum, the, the cheapest as possible, and they sacrificed their formerly profitable uh, programming and sacrificed it for this. Yeah, some of them even completely abandoned their Saturday morning cartoon lineup. First was NBC in 1992, replaced it with a Saturday morning edition of Today, and they added an all-live-action teen-oriented block, TNBC, with things like Say by the Bell, California Dreams, and other teen sitcoms. So they just gave up. They gave up. Now, the educational content was minimal to non-existent, but NBC still labeled those shows EI and provided this little legal fiction of a blanket educational summary uh, text to their stations to provide, you know, to the quarterly reports they had to give to the FCC. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, good on them. I mean, I know those shows were pretty popular. I wasn't a huge fan of the teen dramas, even though that was my demographic, but I was not the most socially adept kid anyway, so go figure. The crazy thing is, it wasn't your demographic. By 2001, TNBC's viewership had seen major declines in its core demographic. The median age of the viewers was 41. Oh, what? I had no idea that it was that much, that popular. Yeah, it's crazy. The kids weren't watching it. Only adults were watching it, which is kind of funny because they're trying to market to kids, but the kids weren't watching it. That's hilarious. Uh, they, they brought back cartoons in the uh, fall of 2002. The cable network Discovery Kids won the rights to the block in an auction. 
Oh, wow. That's, that's bizarre. Yeah. Uh, CBS, what did they do? Well, they followed NBC's lead in 1997. They made a CBS News Saturday morning for the first two hours of its lineup, and then they went to an all-live-action block of children's programming, which only lasted a few months. <laughs> and then they brought back a story break. So they tried again in the 97-98 season. They wrote out Think CBS Kids, had a focus on live-action educational series such as the new Ghost Rider Mysteries. And they had the Weird Al show, which I never watched. But it was uh, unwillingly and with great difficulty complied with the EI mandate as a condition of being picked up. Oh, wow. They also had a show called Wheel 2000, which is a children's version of Wheel of Fortune. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, I would like to see that, too. Is this where, like, where Beekman's world and st- all that stuff started happening? I, because I, I think we wanted it a little bit earlier, but you're on the right track oh. in that late 90s okay. or mi- early the 90s Bill when Nye they're stuff. trying to roll out that EI content across their networks. Okay. Um, so ABC, what did they do? Well, their decision was easy. And ABC, they were bought by Walt Disney in 1996. Oh, okay. So just throw on the old classic programming. One Saturday morning was rolled out in 1997. And they brought out everything that Disney did, <laughs> essentially. But they also kept a couple shows. They kept the Bugs Bunny and Tweety show. Seems like that, that went on forever. That might still be on. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't think it is, actually. Okay. You know, I'll talk about what's on there now, which is not good. Okay. Um, but, yeah, they continued to air a couple things like that. And then they had a block called ABC Kids for a while. And then in 2002, a lot of the blocks were produced by Disney and aired by the Disney Channel or Toon Disney. Some of those cartoons from that they just brought over. Okay. Well, it's whatever the most economically... Uh, advantageous. I wouldn't blame them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just brought some of their old old content in, which I, I can't blame them. But on August 27th, 2011, ABC ended the ABC Kids block. ABC was the first network to outsource its EI liabilities in Saturday morning programming to Litton. What's Litton? Litton was a company that creates educational and informational programs for kids. Oh, so they just, that's their bread and butter that they, they, they're going to say, if you don't want to follow this law, or we'll make it easy for you to do it, basically. Yep, it was known as Litton's Weekend Adventure. It is now just currently known as Weekend Adventure. And hmm. yes, you might have heard you say they were the first to outsource their Saturday morning block. Um, what? So who else has done that? Well, throughout the 2010s, the major networks began to change the manner in which they fulfilled those obligations. They started airing factual documentary and reality-style series aimed at teens, 13 through 16-year-old audiences, rather than preschool or preteen audiences. One reason they did that is that since those programs were not targeting viewers 12 and younger, they were not subject to the restrictions on advertising prescribed by the Children's Television Act. Also, they can show more than 12 minutes of commercials if they don't target it to little kids. But since then, CBS in 2013... The CW in 2014 and NBC in 2016 all leased their weekend morning blocks to Litton Entertainment. So they're not, none of them are doing it anymore? None of them are doing it anymore. <laughs> oh, that is depressing. It's all Litton Entertainment now. So they are Saturday morning. They are Saturday morning. Wow. So as you can imagine, this probably bought some unintended consequences. Well, I guess it brought a lot of money to Litton. Well, the Annenberg Foundation found that the number of network television shows deemed to be highly educational 
from 1990 to 1998 fell from 43% to 29%. See, this is why regulation, more often than not, has these unintended consequences. And they don't get the attention. You only... It, it, these programs are judged on their intentions, not on their results. Yep, and that's exactly what happened here. And part of that was because one of the issues was that what was constituting education on television was defined too broadly as programming that was only academic or that covered pro-social issues. So I think of, when I think of academic, I think of like these quiz bowl programs from Saturday morning. And I don't know if that was the start of that. Um, I don't know what the pro-social issues would, would count as. I'll see that, okay, Captain Planet. Uh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Things like that. So they, like Carmen Sandiego came out of this. Mm-hmm. Another was that those traditional ideas of what should be taught to children, such as the alphabet or number systems, were lost. So the Sesame Street stuff, basically. Right. There was a huge increase in the number of programs that focused on social issues. And writers for those programs wrote stories that were not academically sound for young viewers because they were not trained in writing for that audience. Oh, that's that's depressing. I mean, there were some that were good at it, like PBS's, I think like their Magic School Bus is usually heralded as one that made sense. And a lot of public broadcasting was, you know, developed by people who were trying to build up the at least academic education of kids. But instead, a lot of them focused on social issues. Okay, well... I guess there's that natural inclination. So is can we lay the death of Saturday morning all at the feet of the ACT? Uh, I want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know we want to, but that's not fair. There are a lot of reasons that we can point to. One is a, the decline of creativity of major TV animation studios. They started just trotting out retreads of a lot of their cartoons or just showing a bunch of reruns. There wasn't a lot of... but the then again, there wasn't a lot of drive for them to because they couldn't have commercials that supported it. Yeah, that's that's what I keep going back to, <clears throat> that you couldn't market within these uh, programs. And money's going to be an underlying factor in this, and it could have a positive impact as far as to inspire excellence. It can also have a negative impact to, to mislead or use deception to, to try to part you with your money. But there has to be a balance somewhere, and it sounds like the pendulum swung way too far in the other direction. Yep. There were also a lot of good quality first-run syndication cartoons that aired in the afternoons, weekdays. Things like uh, the Saturday, the afternoon block that Disney would put out with DuckTales and things like that. That was a very popular um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, things like that as well. Was that in the afternoon? Oh, I guess it's been through a few some incarnations. Of, some of them yeah. were, yeah. Uh, a lot of EI mandates that we can blame that as part of it for sure. Uh, rise of cable TV networks is another one. I was thinking that. I was thinking of things like uh, Nickelodeon, mm-hmm. Cartoon Network. Um, Boomerang I, even. Um, though that's really more classic stuff. Yeah, but I, when I think of Nickelodeon, I remember just, that's not a channel that we had growing up. And I would see it when I was on vacation or... And other aspects, and I thought, it's just nothing but commercials, you know? <laughs> or not commercials, sorry, nothing but cartoons. Right. Is, like USA's Cartoon Express and things like that. That was a lot of Hanna-Barbera stuff from the 60s, mostly, or maybe 70s, but um, very different from what is available today. Um, certainly on Saturday morning, it sounds like. I haven't checked into that. Obviously, I'm not 
looking at Saturday morning programming anymore uh, as far as even looking forward to that. But wow, it sounds like a yeah. very different world check now. It, check it out sometime. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I will. I don't. <laughs> well, here's what, and I don't know if you did enough research on this to be able to answer this question, but if all these major networks, NBC, ABC, CBS, are outsourcing their Litton, or their entertainment to Litton, are they all showing the same thing? I haven't looked at it that much. I don't think so. I think there's a wide variety of garbage. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You, you can find whatever garbage you like best. Uh, okay, well, that's that's kind of a bummer. I, I That's disappointing that they're not even trying anymore. Um, there's also other reasons, the rise of home video services like VCRs and DVDs. People, you know, kids just watching tapes or DVDs, things like that. Uh, streaming, too, I would think, probably yep. has a big... A big portion in the of most it. recent years, it definitely has. Also, there is a lot of increase in kids' activities on Saturday morning, um, like going to ball games or piano practice or karate practice. You know, a lot of helicopter parenting happening now where, oh, I can't have my, you know, TV raise my kids, my phone can. <laughs> yeah, that was, I was going to just say that. Like, how much of this is being driven by mobile devices and kids playing on those games or something that's more interactive than a passive entertainment experience, which is what we had growing up. Yep, that's that's a big part of it, too. Part of it even is uh, no-fault divorce. You know, kids on the weekend, the parent who doesn't have custody only has them on the weekend, they want to be doing things with their kids that are not sitting in front of a TV watching cartoons. Okay, so <laughs> they want to, of course, that's good. They yeah. spend time with their kids and just sit in there and watch Voltron. Yep, and, you know, like I said, the expansion of those morning news shows into primetime hours when, you know, parents sometimes weren't even up and kids were watching it, and in, even an increase in home video game systems, you know, kids playing that, and also the phones, as I said. Yeah, I will say video games, even in my experience, if it was a, especially if it was a rerun, like, oh, I've seen this, I'm going to play Atari or whatever. <laughs> right. And so uh, a lot of the cartoons now, they sort of shifted to a more adult audience because that audience is who grew up with cartoons. And so they're still wanting that itch to be scratched every once in a while. Yeah, I think of the Fox cartoons and even some of the stuff that they were doing on Cartoon Network in the afternoon blocks and the evenings, like Space Ghost, Coast to Coast, and... um. Uh, different uh, programs that they had, Harvey Birdman, just obviously nostalgia bombs, but uh, that's you know, they weren't targeting the kids with those. Right, exactly. Um, but yeah, that's sort of, well, at least why I can definitively say or argue that those cartoons in the 80s were the best, and unfortunately, I don't think they'll ever be that way again due to the various regulations and priorities of the networks. It's now against the law. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Well, that was very interesting. Uh, I learned a lot with this, and I hope that those who listened, if you took the time, uh, have learned a lot too. And I hope you've enjoyed it. All right. Uh, yep. This is all we have for this time, though. We'll be back soon, I would imagine, with a, a new episode. We've got a couple ideas. We're percolating right now of what we want to talk about next, but um, we're sort of re-energized to looking into create more this year so that's all goodness for you guys yeah for the fans or both of you who enjoy listening to this i appreciate that um you can reach out to us if you want to share your thoughts or recommendations for future episodes at packbrospodcast@gmail.com. you can also find us online at our own website packbrospodcast.com facebook we're on facebook as pack bros podcast as well and um Am I missing any of other and outlets? There's a Twitter. There's a Twitter. Podcast. Yeah, all those are rarely updated. 
Um, <laughs> except when we put on a new episode, and then that's then they go dormant. But that's all right. Yeah, and that's P A C K B R O S podcast. Just search that, and you should be able to find just about everything. Yep. All right. Oh, I still don't have a good sign off. I think I had to talk to you later last time, like I'm on the phone. <laughs> Play one of those sound effects. We recently got a new soundboard, right. and so um, just whatever one you want to. Let's see. How about this one? That's creepy. <laughs> That's creepy. Yeah, I could go through all the different sounds we have now. No, I did this. That's okay. Okay. Um, all right. uh, you know. <laughs> whatever you want to end with that's fine you want to see what the scoops uh spooky scooby-doo music or twilight zone that's no, fine that's okay i think i'll play us out with a uh, nice harp flourish okay all right goodbye everyone <laughs>